So I ducked. And, and when I ducked, my cap came flying off and I had an adrenaline rush and kind of like, you know, when you have a rush like that, there's a million thoughts going through your head. They don't all make sense. Yeah. Right. I remember briefly thinking to myself, like, oh, I really like that. <laughs> like, I turned, like, should I get it? This podcast is sponsored by sponsors that we don't have right now, but we will soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. Let's get into it. running around everywhere and they're fighting That's um, so there will be like plenty of interruptions it's like they knew that that we are recording something so important <laughs> that's when they're like look at me look at me look at me What's going oh on? yeah no that's fine that's um, okay well it, it's good to meet both of you and uh um well i, I hope your all your projects are going to go really well oh Thanks yes for... i mean considering you're a first guest we're already i know how lucky are we this is so <laughs> Happy exciting. To help. You know, a lot of people will ask you the same question. How did you start, Pete? But for me, what's interesting is uh, the idea of why this? Why are you doing what you're doing? You could have had a you know, great job. And you corporate could, life. Yeah, corporate life. Why, why this? Well, I, I, you know, I have to say, I, while it would be a cooler answer, um, uh, maybe a more romantic sounding answer, if I was to say, you know, I could have had whatever life I wanted. Yeah, I could have had you know, a lot, a lot more money or whatever kind of job. I, I'm not quite so sure about that. I, I think that um, uh, certainly there's people that have done this job for a long time, but most people, they do it for a year or two, which is amazing. That's fantastic. And then they move on to help the movement in very important ways. Um, I'm not entirely sure that I'm suited for what they move on to. Yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've managed investigations uh, for two years. Uh, I'm based out of the U.S., but I managed investigations in other countries for, and it, field work suits me better. If, if I had to sit at a desk every day, all day, I'd lose my mind. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I could do public relations campaigning or fundraising. Um, I like the chaos of this job. I, I certainly had to make some changes there, but I think it still, it suits me. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's got that. It's unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in investigative work, especially in undercover work, um, you know, things are, they are unpredictable and, and you want to have a plan. Yeah. Right. You want to have, uh, the, you know, what I like to say is that there's no such thing as bad luck. There's situations that you are trained for mm -hmm. and situations you are not trained for. And if you use the foresight to say, okay, whatever, what kind of circumstance could I run into? And no matter how crazy it sounds, what could I do to train myself for it? Right? Yeah. Uh, I remember when I started this, there was no formal training program. Yeah. And I developed one and I gave it to a few groups. They modified it, made it better for their needs. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very you know, happy and proud I was able yeah. to, to do that. But that said, one thing about this job is no matter how much training you have, no matter what contingency plan you have in place, you go to the target, you take, you step out of the car and you put a foot on the ground and your plan goes out the window and you yeah. improvise, right? It's yeah. just, that's, that's the nature of the job. I mean, obviously you're doing important work, but it also makes it quite exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, I love it. Again, I wouldn't yeah. change that for anything. If I, <laughs> if I knew what was going to happen tomorrow, I'd just be bored. No, I totally understand that. Pete, you tell us what work you do. What's the day to day? Sure. Uh, so, okay, there, there's not a lot of day-to-day, -day, but here's how I can best describe it, is that um, 
I'll give you the abridged version mm-hmm. um, is that uh, I've done investigative work for animal rights groups for 19 years. Half my career has been dogs, some kitten mills in there too, but half of it dogs being sold to research labs, puppy mills, pet stores. The other half has been factory farms, slaughterhouses, and commercial fishing boats. Um, I've worked at over two dozen factory farms and slaughterhouses and boats of, of almost any kind you can name, some of them multiple ones. Um, and I've investigated places in uh, primarily the US, but also uh, Canada, um, India, Philippines, a lot in Mexico and Brazil. A lot of my work is employment based UC work, employment, like undercover yeah. working at the facility. But I've been to hundreds of places where it's, it's what I call a walk on. Um, that's where you just you go in cold, you know, maybe you have, maybe you have a setup or you go in cold and you talk your way and you leave. And then a lot of my other work is surveillance. Recently, I was uh, doing surveillance of uh, greyhound facilities where they oh, would yeah. use live rabbits to train, to train greyhounds and wow. the dogs would tear them apart alive. And that is, um, you know, I mean, that's horrible, yeah. but the job was a little different from my perspective in that I got to get to an observation point, hide in the bushes and film, <laughs> as opposed to having to, you know, go up oh. and then you got to be there person with the covert camera yeah you know how did it um, feel doing your first undercover gig i mean how how was your first what was a rush like <laughs> like tell me so, the okay. moment before just the moment so, right before the, uh, well so I, I would say that okay the case started off cool and then it got re- can i cuss on can i cuss go, on this go fuck off. It, it got, it got <laughs> i did it for you cool all right we're set it, but it got really fucking dark really fast yeah um, and it was, so my first case, they made a documentary about it called Dealing Dogs mm-hmm. and a place was selling dogs and cats to research, research labs. They were random source. Was it the right? Baird family? It, that was a- it was the Baird family. Yeah. yeah. And some of them were stolen pets. And so that when in the case start, I'm learning, you know, what I'm supposed to do. And we go and we, we're just surveying the place. We're scoping it out. We sneak on the property and we find this giant trench at the back of the property that is filled with trash and dead dogs. And we don't know what we're looking at. We don't know why. We don't know why they're there. How? We're just like, what the hell is this? Right. And so, and like, just like a hundred dead dogs. So the guy I was with, he's on lookout. And I jump down in there and I start digging through everything and collecting vials, collecting paperwork. And I'm digging through the dog's dead bodies with a scanner, right? Oh looking for microchips. I know I'm smiling, and- but I'm not. It's just beyond. Oh, me. no. It's just, it's so messed up. That I'm I get like, it. I just. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, I understand. No, I completely understand. Yeah. And, and then, uh, and then next to the, tr- next to the trench for reasons that we didn't know, then there's a, a wooden table and it, it is covered in blood and it has a bloody knife on it. Right. And the dogs are cut open and there's organs that are spilled everywhere. We have no idea what we're looking at. We have no idea why, yeah. but the guy that I was with a private investigator, he could look at the paperwork from the trash and he could see that they're veterinary forms. Wow. Every dog from this facility that was going out to these dogs would go out to dozens of medical universities for experimentation all over the United States. Every single dog had to cross state lines. It had to have a federal form so that a vet said, I'm checking their eyes, ears, nose, skin, teeth, everything. Right. He looked he could. He, this guy was so good. He could look at it and say, you know what? I can tell they were all signed at the same time. Also, wow. the way the vet is actually is checking all these dogs. It is a federal crime that he's not checking that. And then, you know, he said, uh, okay, well, the only way we're going to get that evidence, you know, we can't just survey the place. You know, you, we got to get somebody in. I yeah. said, okay. And he's like, all right, well, 
move out to Arkansas and go get a local license. And I didn't realize I had just said yes to working undercover at this facility. And so the only moment that I could say was a real rush was, but when I crossed the state line into Arkansas, that is when it suddenly became real for me, what I was about to do, that I was about to go into a tiny town in the middle of nowhere where everybody knows everybody. And I'm an outsider that no outsider has ever been hired into this operation and that I have to get in and go find evidence of federal crimes. Like it dawned on me, yeah. right? After that point, the only thing, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like fuck up this interview or anything, no, but I, amazing. Continue. the only problem after that was that um, what I was dealing with was so, so dark mm. uh, that, you know, when they made the documentary, they had to, they, had, they said, well, this is going to have to be character driven. We're going to have to mm. focus on interviews mm-hmm. on you. When we wrote about it, I wrote a book called Rescue Dogs yep. with Gene Stone and Nick Bromley. We talk about cruelty issues for dogs and why people should adopt, right? But we have a chapter in there about this case. And man, we really went out of our way to try to not make it too dark. Out of curiosity, did you ever find out how or why they did this? How did this die? Yeah, um, <laughs> well, okay, yeah, so there was a void that was created for that type of dealer, the Mm. random source dealer that sells dogs and cats that they did not breed. And that void was not filled in by other random source dealers. You know, the reason they were doing it, it's cheap, right? It's like the labs don't have to raise their own animals. They can just get the animals cheap. And the reason that they would take stolen pets is because they would just take anything anything they could get. So someone shows up with a bunch of dogs, right? And they got like breeds that are like beagles, walkers, all kinds of hounds mm. and not running out of their noses. They're all, you know, they're, they're sickly and they're dirty. And then amongst them would be a chocolate lab that could sit and shake hands on command. Why they would take those dogs and not turn them down, they just didn't care. And, and to make up for it, uh, he was the husband, he ran the local Church of Christ church oh, when he was a minister. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess he just kind of thought, no well, if, if, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, no one will know. No one will doubt me. Yeah. And, and this is my purpose because God it's, made it so. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So, it's like if I'm a yeah. man of religion somehow, like people it's will never justified. guess. Yeah. But, I, so yeah. how are these people when you just talk to them? Like, I mean, do they feel remorse when... Yeah, did he talk to Chester at all? I had, yeah, well, I definitely did. So I had to interview with him and he questioned me. He questioned if I was an investigator. Um, (laughs) He questioned me after that. This little side story is that um, this was not my idea. Okay. okay, I'm not responsible for this. Okay, but before but before I went to go get hired at the facility, the the group that I was working for, the person running it, it was, yeah. it was their idea was well, you know what? They go to this other state where they get dogs from a flea market, right? Mm. So why don't you act like a homeless drifter mm-hmm. and have them hire you from there, and then they'll take you out to Arkansas? Yeah. So right. so that didn't work, right? But Patsy Baird saw me there. And when I interviewed a month later with her, yeah. then I then she recognized yeah. me. And so they questioned me about it. And I had to convince them, nope, not me. Don't know what you're talking about. I find that a lot of the time where you meet certain people that have a, s- a specific way of thinking, they'll have another way that's also just as closed or narrow. Yeah. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So there is... Um, there's a lot to the psychology of that. Yeah. And I have, I, I have, uh, 
I have some theories. Yeah. I, I have some please theories about why. Throw it out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Give me your theories. We just plug right. in our name. We are the mind behind it. So we're all about it. So, perfect. Okay. So the, the first thing, if you want, I, I can mention, I can, I can go through it briefly. Yeah. Um, there's five things that make cruelty to animals predictable criminal activity at a commercial operation. And I can, I'll, I'll briefly go through that because that's a baseline to understand how people can do things like buy a stolen dog, or it's the same thing, beat a cow in the face when she yeah. falls in the milking stall, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing is it's the stress of the work, yeah. right? And, and a lot of people know that working these jobs is very difficult, but until you do it, it's a tough, horrible job. Um, but, but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, when you're interrogating somebody, Sleep deprivation and starvation are two very common techniques you use mm-hmm. to break somebody's will because mm-hmm. it makes them more susceptible to suggestion. That's right? probably what they do in well, Guantanamo Bay. Oh time. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but when you're at these facilities, you're working a 12-hour shift, six days a week, you're fatigued yeah. and you're not getting to eat all the time. So you just kind of start to just break down. And when someone says, just poke the sow in the eye to get her to move, just kick the cow in the head, yeah. You're more, you're an otherwise good person. You're more likely to just do it. Yeah. Now, the other thing is immigration status and felony status. Um, you know, in the U.S., we have misdemeanors and felonies, right? So, if you have a criminal history or an immigration status, that puts you at risk for being a snitch and for telling people that there's animal cruelty at a facility. Mm-hmm. You can't then get another job. Yeah. If local law enforcement is corrupt, if if they don't they don't want to enforce the cruelty statute, they just they know that this stuff happens and they don't care. And if the if a government inspector is corrupt, mm. you have all of these things that when they come together, it's the final thing that I call a culture of cruelty. And you know, people are just they're exhausted. They don't really, you know, they, they just don't care. That there's dogs that are dying. They get if if the dog won't walk, they're gonna drag the dog. If the dog's fighting back, they're gonna punch the dog in the head. They don't care that a stolen pet. Yeah. It, it just doesn't matter. They are in a local culture where no one in the community cares. Yeah. Right. The labs that they're sending dogs to are care. not complaining. Yeah, you just accept it. It's the yeah. same. It's exactly the same as you know. You're at the you're at the slaughterhouse. You're at the hog farm. You're at yeah. you're on you're it's on the, the boat. You see, it. it's it's just the norm, right? It's a theory of mine. Okay. Okay. Um, and I I got to tell your listeners, I'm not trying to offend any of your oh, listeners. I, no, please offend. <laughs> okay. All right. We won't. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, all right, okay. Yeah, here we go. Um, trigger alert. Okay. So when it usually i know you know here in the us christianity is the most common religion that is associated yeah. with people in rural areas that are working on farms mm-hmm. that would include dogs that would include like puppy milk or dog farms right yeah. the reason i mention christianity is that it has a specific type of thinking mm-hmm. other religions do as well yeah. it's called teleological thinking that is purpose driven thinking that means that everything happens for a reason yeah. right yeah. the other thing is that christianity has a concept of free will which is that yep. yes. in any situation regardless of the circumstances you have limitless choices yeah. that you can make so that no matter what there's a right choice and there's a wrong choice now by that rationale let's just say that you were to look at someone who is completely disenfranchised mm-hmm. and they're in poverty and no access to good education, they pick themselves up by their bootstraps mm-hmm. and they become rich. You could say, see, that's the exception that should be the rule. And everyone else from their position is choosing to be where they're at yeah. and therefore they deserve it. You can also use that to say these animals are here for that purpose. Yes. Right. And so it is just, it is a, it is a mindset that when you see that you're in a culture where everyone else thinks like that, mm-hmm. yep. you just kind of 
go with the flow. You don't question yes. the system. You don't fight against the system. Mm -hmm. It's all for a big, a bigger reason. Which is I, right. which is actually quite interesting because I'm I'm keen to know your thoughts about India because I'm I was born and brought up in India. Hunger is is still the biggest issue. Like people still don't have food to eat. So how yeah. are you going to make them care about these things, especially about animals? Yeah. That's not even on their list of priorities. So was that something you felt when you were in India? A thousand percent. I went to... That's a uh, lot of percent. <laughs> yeah, it's a I lot. say a million. Yeah, she said a million. Ten times more it's than you expected. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, most of my time in India was spent in very rural areas. And, you know, seeing people, they had little power, no power, no electric power, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And then uh, I remember that there was a... Oh, this was two years ago. And I'm so sorry. I'm going to butcher the name. It was a slaughterhouse mm -hmm. on the north end of Bangalore. So that's when I was in a more urban area. Yep. And I want to say it was called Chinjicherla. Oh, yeah. That's, but, that's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was right. It was right in there. Is, is, what, 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 what is the actual name? <laughs> no, of no, no. I'm just going to leave it here. <laughs> okay, cool. That's, okay, okay. Okay. So there, there was a goat and lamb yep. slaughterhouse. And so all of the heads and the hooves in the slaughterhouse, they'd go out and there was this little miniature community outside and people would then cook the hooves and the heads and then sell it to everybody else. And I remember seeing these little six-year-old kids. They appeared yeah. to be about six. I think one was younger. And they just looked so innocent. Mm -hmm. so pure yep. and they're just scrubbing away at, at, at these at these blackened uh, barbecued heads oh, trying to clean them up and and that's what was th that what was very harsh about that yeah was just thinking to myself like like there's no like there's no hope for them like no. i don't know how to i don't know what i could possibly because i've seen children working in very small slaughterhouses yeah. in mexico and think like okay i know that they're doing this as like a thing on the side yeah. and they go back and they're going to go to school but for these kids it was like this is this is it yeah. you know and and how and who how could i expect them exactly. how could i say to them you need to care about that goat now exactly, exactly. You need to care about that. exactly there's no it's a survival no. thing isn't it that, that that's very true i think so so that is on on a planetary scale that is absolutely the case we have to take a few steps yeah. back and say do I even understand them? Yes. Have I listened to them? Doesn't mean I have to agree with them, but yeah. have I listened to what they have to say? Pete, Absolutely I'm guilty not. of this. And I think Huda and I have this conversation a lot where <laughs> she's really good. She always tells me because I judge really fast. And I'm like, yeah, you're a shit person. You're a shit person. You're a shit. And she's like, hold on, <laughs> yeah. hold on, hold on. Try and understand them. We don't even think about it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's. And, and, that. that's, and that's normal. There's nothing. Yes. See, I, the, the thing is, normally we'd want to say that's, that's wrong right yeah. but let's let's not say that it's wrong mm -hmm. yes let's just look at it as it it is and let's not ask why let's ask how yes right uh, uh dr greg graffin um he wrote a book called population wars and he's 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 an evolutionary biologist he teaches at cornell and he's 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 commonly known as the vocalist of the band bad religion and he uh he explains like teleological thinking that, that asks why, but scientific thinking asks how. So yes. for example, if we were to look at like, why, why is it that you see a bunch of hogs going down the road and you think it's okay? Just, yeah. Let's ask how, how did you get to the, how did you get to the point where you saw it and it's okay? And it's because yes. you were raised like that yes. because your parents were raised like that. Absolutely. Right. And if you do that, the judgment falls away and you instantly find yourself going into solution based thinking. The vast majority of people that work in commercial animal operations are not sadistic. Yeah. They're not sadists, they're not psychopaths. But there are more sadists than I think most activists realize. 
And the only reason that I mention that is because yeah. if we can predict that crimes are going to happen, how much is it really that person's fault versus the system's fault? Yes. Right. But I, I've seen it, I've seen it many times where you see somebody doing something, it's completely unnecessary and you see the joy in their face yeah. when they do it. Oh, and yeah. you know that they are a danger to society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, what I have not yet seen at, at, at this point from the animal rights movement is definitely a total agreement. Thanks, Rambo. Thank you again. <laughs> he is so bad today. <laughs> they both want to pat. Okay. They both want to pat at the same time. Is your right. mic okay? Yeah, Rambo keeps just coming. <laughs> this is probably the most <laughs> erratic interview you've probably ever had. Um, okay, so before I got Rambo, like I didn't even consider adopting. And I guess... I didn't think the way that I do now. So I got him from a breeder. I think a lot of people don't because a lot of people do buy from Gumtree and Trading Post and all those things. Which are like your Craigslist in America. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, um, you know, uh, certainly adoptions have increased um, since COVID-19 hit. Puppy mill sales are spiking. They're just, they're going through the roof. Um, People love having companion animals and Mm -hmm. puppy mills are very good at making people believe that, all of their dogs are well taken care of, yeah. uh, you know, that, that there's no problems with them whatsoever. And th- there's an enormous amount of problems with puppy mills. Yeah. Um, I have, again, since y'all are cool with me being controversial, yeah. let me just piss off a lot of listeners by saying that <laughs> I, I define a puppy mill as anyone who makes a profit from breeding dogs. Now that includes, I have one dog you know, got her pregnant with, from a stud yes. and I had a litter of puppies, I would say, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a puppy mill. And the only reason I say that is because there's many people who try to differentiate and say, I'm not talking about puppy mills. I'm talking about responsible breeders. Yeah. And I have two problems with that. Number one, uh, it, it's still, you know, breeding dogs breed, and selling puppies that causes dogs to die in shelters. Yes. Right? Yep. Just, that's the bottom line. Yep. I remember know. I went to, I, I, uh, in, in the book rescue dogs, we discussed in a chapter called Emma, I went to a very small puppy mill and the guy says, Oh yeah, let me, let me take you inside. Super nice gentleman. He's like, Oh, let me take you inside. <laughs> and so when I went in there and I saw they had, they had, first of all, they had baby cribs for the whelping mothers and the puppies. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. like, so they had this one mother and she had these two puppies and they didn't have fur yeah. yet. They were very young. And I said, whoa, is that? And he, I, I picked up the purple one and it was, the puppy was cold to the touch. And he goes, oh. yeah, that one's probably not going to make it. They just die sometimes. And I said, yeah, well, <laughs> is she going to like, like, he's like, yeah, like my wife's given something to it. And I was like, is she going to like hypoglycemia? Is she gonna get <laughs> it's like, I don't know, something it's like fine. he just wasn't con- and then I look at the mother and her tongue is hanging straight down from her mouth. Does she not have a bottom jaw? And he goes, oh, yeah, no. Nah. She got in a fight out in the kennel and it just kind of deteriorated, right? <laughs> no. And so I'm like, holy shit. Like, like so again, you wouldn't know that unless you actually talk your way in, right? And so then, any breeding dogs do you want to give up? Uh, 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 the vast majority of my puppy mill work is for the Companion Animal Protection Society. We don't pay money for anything. Yeah. But he wanted $100 for a dog that wouldn't breed. He scoops her up, and then I go to look at her closely, and her teeth are just brown and black. They found that she had over 20 teeth that had to be pulled. They were so rotten. An infection had gone from her teeth through her skull to her nasal cavity, and it had caused a heart arrhythmia. Right? So, you know, it's like this hidden cost. And, and, you know, not only that, but when I got Emma, she would attack my hand when I try to pick her up. She didn't know what music was. She didn't know what carpet was. Um, And so, you know, I'd I'd scoop her up. And then I remember I was at a hotel. At one point, 
when I tried to, to get her to go to the bathroom outside, she kind of like, she, she reached the end of her leash and she freaked out, started thrashing. And I picked her up. She started attacking my hand mm. and I just kind of let her go through it. So then I set her down in the grass and poop. And then she looked off and she saw a, a sunset. It, like the sky was very yellow. And then she just collapsed in her, she sat down in her own poop, right? And it occurred to me that yeah. she had never seen the sun come up or go down in her life before. I find that really interesting, Pete, because, you know, all these things, like you said, if you didn't see them up close, you wouldn't even know. So are there certain tips? Adopt. If anyone's selling a puppy because they bred it, that's just a straight no. Yep. That's it. You're going to have all kinds of diseases that like, like you could get a, you could get, dis the puppy could get distemper, the puppy could get a parvovirus, or all kinds of diseases that if the dog's already at a shelter, the full-grown dog, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Puppies are actually a massive drainer, I'll be honest. Absolutely. <laughs> Ab as far as the personality, we like to think that we can use nurture. No, no. It's like, have you ever had people who like, like they have kids and they're just like, I don't know what happened one day. My kid just kind of turned into an asshole. Like, and, yes. and they're a great parent, right? But that's just, but, but dogs are the same way. Yes. Dogs are individuals, yeah. right? So if you go to a, a really good shelter they, there's people that are fostering them yes they know if those dogs like other dogs if they like cats if they like kids if they like to if they want to be a couch potato if they want to go run at the park if they like to swim yep. they already know this yes. you know who you're getting and who you're letting into your yep. life so rambo was actually my very first dog um mm -hmm. and he's beautiful by the way he he's amazing he looks he, like he's, a million dollars he's a bit of an asshole but he's also amazing <laughs> he's um, privileged he's very privileged and then I recently adopted Lily. You know how humans can be privileged? No, no, I, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that animals are the same. I think that after they've been through a really rough time and when they're given love, they're more grateful. I don't know. Now that, no, that, now that is, that, no, no, you're 100% you're, you're right. So, and there's a, I, in fact, I remember I had, uh, there was a dairy calf ranch yeah. that I worked at. And I was able to get four calves out and watch how thankful they were yeah. and how they were just, they turned, when they, when they turned into bulls, they were just babies still, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like exactly. their personalities, you know, but you know, with dogs, there's this thing where they have a couple genes that at a certain point in their evolution got turned on in their brain and it makes them love people right they're a descendant of a wolf-like ancestor yes. where they just had it's it's ge it's genetic it's in their neurology and so you know with dogs being like this it, it's not just that like they'll they'll alert us to predators and we'll throw them scraps from the fire yep. it's like through random chaos and chance they just love people it's just yes. that's part that's part of what's in them and so we wanted to know like what is it about wolves then let's Try yep. to figure this out. Yep. What's our what should our relationship with dogs be like? So in the 30s, they did this study at the Basel Zoo in Switzerland, and they captured wolves in the wild and then threw them in the zoo. And then we're like, well, they're fighting, right? There's an alpha and there's an omega. That's what we figured out, right? So, well, but they don't do that in the wild. They no. do that when you capture them and then throw them together, right? Um, just like any anything would. In in the wild, they're a family. Mm -hmm. There's a husband, there's a wife, and there's kids, and then they go on, and then if circumstances change, they may include outsiders, but they're just a family. And dogs, therefore, they don't see us as an alpha. Dogs don't need an alpha like we've always thought they do. Yeah. Dogs yep. see us as equals. That's why yes. anyone, I'm sure you go through this with your dogs. Your, your dog has to understand at times, look, you can't just go running out the door. You yes. can't just eat one. But at times your dog is going to be like, guess what? I'm gonna... I am going to sit on the couch right <laughs> now. Guess what? I, 
I am going to freak out yes. because it's an they see it as an of equal course. relationship. And I yeah, agree and, with you. Um, I think a lot of people would probably see me and go, geez, she's not the dog's alpha. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. that's because I, whatever's mine is yours. And that's just the way I've always seen it. Like I, I from the get go, I mean, I've trained him um, and mm-hmm. he's a very switched on smart guy. He's quite manipulative. Yep. Like yep. there is a great dynamic between us. Oh yes. Yeah, very much so. And, and, and again, it goes back to that purpose driven thinking yes. like they are here because they're supposed to do what I want. Yes, and, and another, I, I, I know I hound that point, but I'm very big on it. Yep. And the reason I'm big on it is that I see it as a reason why there's abuse of workers, why there's an abuse of animals. I see 100%. it why there's, I've seen people in, in the nonprofit sector and animal rights groups be ab- abusive to their employees yeah. and it all comes down to that way of thinking. It it's is. like, well, that's why they're here. And right? slavery that's, that's the was purpose. the same thing. Slavery yeah. was exactly the same thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Until yeah. someone said, yeah. hey, maybe this is shit. For <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, you know, uh, the, the, the point I like to bring up is to say, like, like well, first of all, zero evidence. That I, and I'm so, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm offending you, but zero scientific evidence that anything has ever been created for a purpose. We've never looked under a microscope and said, aha. I found it. Here's the imprint <laughs> yes. of the DNA that said, this is why it's here. It's just, no. you can believe it. No. Yeah, there's no science behind it, right? But secondly, at, at, at a philosophical level, if we want to believe that, let's just stick with dogs. Yeah. If we say, well, the reason, the reason my dog is here is my dog has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Be loved and for me to love, mm-hmm. like, and for that dog to love me. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. But the purpose of that guy's dog exactly. is to breed for money. And the purpose yeah. of that guy's dog is to fight other dogs for money. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're looking for the purpose, right? And it's just- I think it's sad that we create their purpose. It's like the fact that we say, oh, well, that's their purpose. It's like they don't have any form of individual decision-making. And, well, and, and yeah, they don't, and they, they can't, and, and, it, yeah. and it, you know, unfortunately, obviously, you know, it just, it wouldn't be real realistic no. for us to, to say like, we just give it to the dogs. I always say, um, I always say, <laughs> so I would say Rambo has completely changed me as a human being and the way that I think I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have wanted to keep an animal as a pet personally mm-hmm. now. Um, but now I've got him and I'm like, well, like if I yeah. let him out right now, he'll go get hit by a car. He'll end up starving himself or he will just do something. And I'm like, you can't survive out there now. Now I have to make sure that I look after you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so are, are, now are you saying that like, like philosophically the idea of pet ownership, is that what you mean? Yeah. Look, you I mean, just, you, just... you know, it's... we have domesticated them it's an ego thing yeah. as well i i think I find, yeah actually like, okay is. maybe i'll i'll offend some people as well yeah we probably... let's do it yeah, idea... it's like first episode everyone's like nah yeah, like, <laughs> these two are fucked up individuals <laughs> but the idea of owning something it's, yeah. it's ego but that's really... an excellent point um I, I i think so in in investigations there's a thing when you want to work somebody, it's called mice, M-I-C-E. It's that you want to get something from somebody, you play to either money, I is for ideology, mm-hmm. C is for cooperation or coercion, depending on the, on what you're doing with them. E is for ego. Yes. Now, I don't deal with cooperation, coercion, because I'm not a cop and I'm not, I haven't handcuffed somebody and sitting down in a room. So I got to deal with greed, ideology, or ego, yeah. right? And I got to tell you, my whole career, 
greed and ego, yeah. just greed and ego. And, the, and 90% yeah. of the time, make them feel good about doing yes. you the favor, right? A lot, yeah. a lot of times it's like, it's like, you know, you're just like, oh, it's just, it's just little old me. What can I do? But you know, everything. Can you please help me yes. out with this? And I said, oh, sure. I'll show you whatever you want to see. Sure. I'll admit to this crime because you're going to make me feel cool about the fact that, you know, that I'm, I'm mentoring you on how to commit this crime. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it's just ego that certainly like it's, it, I, I think it, there's something to be said for you recognizing, like, I don't like the idea of ownership. And I don't like that the ego issue involved with that. And I think that that's wonderful to see that. However, I think that we also kind of, you know, we have to recognize that certainly we can be a guardian yes. to an animal. And, and clearly you've taken ego out of it. Before I do forget, I think it's really important. Like Pete was talking about Emma, the Chihuahua. And yeah. Pete's written an amazing book called Rescue Dogs. And, you know, yeah. why they act the way they do and how to love them. I think people should go and read that book just because I think it's very interesting as an investigator, you work by yourself so much, but the way you've written the book, it's so clear and your thought process is so clear. Are you playing how- to his ego? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And, go on, but, go on. <laughs> but I really do want people to have a read of Pete's book and you know, his, they've taken instances from his book, made it into it. HBO documentary, so Pete's kind of the man for it. We all know he's a cool guy. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, one of the ones that we found really interesting was when you said, I've had a man chase me down and throw a shovel at me. What's the story behind that? So um, that was, uh, th- that is a, we tell that story in Rescue Dogs. It's in a chapter called The White Pomeranian. Right. Um, and that is, the five points that I mentioned about predictable criminal behavior mm-hmm. in a commercial animal environment, we break those down into different stories in Rescue Dogs. That one is about corrupt law enforcement. Okay. Uh, 90% of the of the cops I've run across in my line of work are rural local cops. Mm-hmm. One of the targets I had was a cop. Um, so I have great respect for law enforcement, but I have no but, illusions about yes. corruption. There was a target that was a puppy mill that uh, my client, the Companion Animal Protection Society, or CAPS for short, they investigated years before I knew the place existed. It was this guy named Ruben Wee. So what I did was drove down a major highway, looked off the side of the highway, and there I see dozens of dogs that are there. They're in these concrete pens with chain link walls, and there's so much manure in their pens that it's like you know, in, in some places it's like it was over an inch thick right mm-hmm. and it's like they had to step in only the manure some of the worst conditions you know that i've ever seen and so I, I got with a local rescue that said they could take the dogs we went out to the sheriff's department and um when we went to the the county sheriff's department they said that they'd go look at the place and when they did they said look you know there's nothing we can do right now you know even though i saw a dog with a large bleeding injury on on the dog's leg and even though these dogs were soaking wet from the rain and they had manure covered their pens. I said, look, you know, it's, it, there's no dogs dying right now, so we're not going to do anything. And then the sheriff pointed to me and he goes, you don't go back there. Technically, in, in, in most places in the United States to trespass, there has to be a sign or a fence or some kind of markings, or the land has to be used for an agricultural purpose, like they're growing crops that you're walking through, or the owner has to tell you, don't come back on my land. Well, the owner didn't tell me. A cop told me. I can do whatever the hell I want. Right? So while I was on the guy's property, I saw some wooden boards near the back. And when I lifted them up, I found two dead dog bodies decomposing underneath. So I thought, well, the cop just told the guy, get rid of your dogs, but he didn't care how. So I was afraid he was going to kill all his dogs. So I made a 
arguably unprofessional decision of just fuck it. I'm just going right back to the property. So I went back to the property. Um, I just walked right over to the boards, looked, and I didn't see anything. And all the dogs were gone. Mm. I don't know where they went. So I turn around to come back and the guy's come out of his house and he spotted me. Now, Ruben Wee is not by himself a very intimidating guy. He's a 70 year old guy, right? Mm. But he's got this bull mastiff guard dog with him and he's carrying a shovel. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving. He goes, no, you're not. And so, so he takes the shovel and he raises it. And so I go to run and he threw it. And I, I swear to you, I'm not making this up. When he threw the shovel at my head, it didn't like waver back and forth or kind of spin, yeah. right? It was like, like he practiced. Like he was doing it for years. <laughs> yeah. Like a yeah, paper like a, 100%. Yeah, it's like a javelin just whoosh, like right in my head. So I ducked. And, and when I ducked, my cap came flying off and I had an adrenaline rush and kind of like, you know, when you have a rush like that, there's a million thoughts going through your head. They don't all make sense. Yeah. Right. I remember briefly thinking to myself, like, oh, I really like that. Hat. And like, I turned, like, like, should I get it? And I saw this mastiff just charging me. and I was like, fuck that. And I just and I had such an adrenaline rush. Wow. But so what I did was I called the cops. And I said, this is what just happened. And I thought like, okay, this, this guy, it was attempted kidnapping. He wanted to keep me on his property and assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah. Right. We got f- felonies, right? Like major crimes. They arrest me as soon as, soon as they pull up, they, they put me in handcuffs. They arrest me mm-hmm. one day. I'm out in the field and I'm working and a, and a prosecutor calls me and he says, Hey, so, uh, I'm in court. You're not here. And I said, who is this? He's like, well, I'm the district attorney. You're supposed to show up in court. And I explained the situation. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't break the law and I never got a summons. And he goes, here's the deal. I believe you. So you pay this $600 fine. And if you don't get in trouble for a year, you don't go to jail for six months. And I said, okay. And it was since expunged off my record, but this is going to make your life harder with the ag gag laws too, right? Yeah, you know the the ag gag laws. Right at the time the ag gag laws were starting, to, they were trying to ramp them up. I did a a UC case at a dairy. It was the first undercover case anyone had ever done at a factory farm in Idaho ever. And I found some horrific abuse. And I thought, okay, this is the first one. This is terrible abuse. And surely something will happen. And the immediate response was to turn around and pass an ag gag law to make that kind of investigation illegal. And Pete, can you, um, just for the listeners, what is an ag gag law? An ag gag law prevents investigations of animal cruelty at commercial facilities. Now, there's different ways they do it. And so uh, these laws prevent undercover investigations from happening in protective facilities. However, they're getting struck down. Okay. You know, Idaho's was recently struck down. Uh, people are starting to see through that facade. Yeah, yeah. and we actually had Lauren. Yeah. Um, she's a model based in Queensland, actually, one of the states, and she rescued a piglet, and she could now be facing prison for a year. It's like... Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I mean, that's horrific um, in the United States. Um, if you do that, if you break into a facility and you go to, you know, steal something, uh, you're, you can literally be labeled a terrorist. We have a, uh, we have an act, a federal act called the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act that Bush Jr. put into effect. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it would literally be an act of terrorism. So, you know, there's people that are doing it here, but it's, uh, it, it doesn't get a lot, it doesn't get as much press coverage yeah. as it should. It saves lives and that's great, but it's, it's just people. I actually feel bad for like, the actual terrorists, they're like, we, I know. we so they're like, man, come on. We planned so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
we spend so much money in this. I do want to spend the last few minutes um, <laughs> talking about, you know, you're doing this work. How do you manage your family life, like your personal life with this work? Uh, what's what's that? Like, you know, just... I'm joking. <laughs> I actually did. I was like, how do I explain this to him? Yeah, I was like... You do sarcasm very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right, yeah, I, no, I, I would say so. I, I have this, um, I have this kind of advantage now. We're having done it for a while. Um, uh, things are different for me now than they were when I started. I remember when I started, the the, the loneliness was just eating me alive. I remember that. Yeah. It doesn't anymore, but I remember at the time it was just, it was terrible. And that, that there just kind of came a point where I had to kind of, you know, first of all, I realized everything that's happening to the victims of these crimes mm -hmm. that I'm dealing with is a lot worse than loneliness. In some cases, it is in fact loneliness, but it is, it is, it is, it is a kind that literally drives them insane, yeah. right? So mine's not as bad. Um, it, it, I had to learn how to deal with it and kind of get to a point where then I could come out the other side to continue to do this. And I had a huge advantage. And that is that at, for a large part of my career, I'm not uh, military or ex-military, but I lived in a military town. Mm -hmm. And there's a martial arts school that I would train at. Mm. There's two cops that ran it actually. And there were, there was a, most of the students were soldiers, active duty and you know soldiers that would come in there. And so I had no one to talk to during the most of my career who was an investigator in the movement so if i wanted to talk about investigative techniques how to how to get how to get a criminal confession how to use covert gear or or how to do a surveillance techniques and i talked to soldiers yeah. and to be clear about this i was while i'm while i was i'm extremely proud of what i do in my job um, i was talking to people that were going undercover into white nationalist groups and going undercover into al-qaeda and I'm like, yeah, I, uh, I'm undercover <laughs> at uh, farms. Hey, well, and hey, they right? wouldn't understand that. <laughs> hey, they don't right. understand the dangers, okay? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, but, 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 it, but so the, the thing is, is that first of all, that helped keep me humble and yeah. put it in perspective because people, people try to say to undercover investigators, you know, a lot of stuff in the movement. And it's like, uh, the other thing is that when I felt like I was going to break down, then I would go and I'd go to this martial arts school and mm -hmm. people would come back and they had literally just lost friends who mm. got shot to death, just stone cold, like nothing had happened, talking about investigative techniques and, and what works and what does it and how you create cover and how you how you follow a subject like it's nothing. Yeah. And that really humbled me and put it into perspective is that, oh, I have to be a professional. Yeah. I need to stop whining and bitching about my feelings all the time because this is a job and yeah. people count on it. And if this guy can go deal with that and act like that, surely I can get it together. And you don't wow. even have like Tinder and Bumble. And that <laughs> so it's like, oh, obviously, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, you know, that's pretty much. You know, oh my <laughs> My goodness. phone's been blowing up during his interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've still got so many more questions. We want to have it back again. I'd love to. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That'd be great. So much to talk about. And are you writing oh. more? Are you writing any more books? I don't have a writing project right now, but that is a goal of mine. We will be talking to you again very soon, I'm sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. <laughs> Take care of the road. You got it. Just Take your care. Right. Swipe right. <laughs> oh, I'm on it. I've been I've been doing that this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see you, Pete.